My hope is that everyone in this room, that you would get plugged into a small group because we want you to experience that feeling of, of being home. Um, some of you, maybe you haven't experienced that yet. You've come to church and you're kind of still feeling things. Um, I'm not sure what's going on. No, but, but small groups is a place where, where that can happen. It's, it's, it can be intimidating sometimes maybe because you don't know people, but, but we're all trying to figure this out together and the reality is God has called us to love one another. And that love is more than just shaking hands and giving hugs and sharing donuts on Sunday. It's praying with people, it's living out life, it's being honest. And so I would encourage you, if you're interested in small groups, we've got a, you can get more information at the connection table after service. We've got a big uh, open house thing that we're doing on the 17th. Um, so get, get involved uh, with a small group. It's going to be great. All right? Well, we are in our series. We're finishing up this series on, on our values, what we believe is important. And we've been talking about this for the last few weeks. Last, last week we talked, Pastor Dehan gave an amazing message. And uh, <laughs> awesome. And it was Amazing. You should re- you should listen to it if you if you have listen to it. Um, it was it was great. Uh, this week we're going to be talking about family, and specifically we want to talk about God's family and what it looks like for us to experience God's love as our Father. Now, I want you to think back to a moment in your family, whatever your, your, your experience of family was, and, and think back to the moment, if you had one, where you realized that your family was different. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's when you're hanging out with friends and you're like, you guys don't do, and they're just kind of like, everything gets quiet, and they just look at you like, what? Or maybe they come to your house and your parents are, you know, acting in a way that might be otherwise embarrassing, and or, or, or it's something great. You you go to your friend's house, you realize their their family life is rough, and and you've got a family where there are traditions and there's laughter, and I mean we all have ways that our families uh, are are different that you initially you take for granted until you're faced with the reality that that your life your family isn't necessarily normative for everyone else. For me, um, my my dad is white and my mom is Korean, and I just assume that that's what. I mean, I didn't assume. You could tell, you know, not everyone is white, not everyone is Korean, not everyone is mixed. However, I assumed that, that the way we lived life was normal. Uh, and it wasn't until a few years later that I realized not everyone has a restaurant-sized uh, container of cayenne pepper in their house, right? Or, or puts it on their rice and steak and other things. I mean, uh, not everyone enjoys uh, pickled radishes. I love kimchi. Um, I, I grew up on, on hamburger helper and, and kimchi, and I, I didn't fit in in many of the, the white churches we went to because my mom is Korean and, and I was half Korean. I mean, I, I look fairly, you know, white, but, but there is some cultural background that made us not fit in in a couple places, and then we'd go to Korean church, and it was not Korean enough, and so I didn't fit in there either because I could eat the food, but I couldn't speak the language. Um, I just knew when I was in trouble. Anyways, um, 
But how we grow up often defines what we understand family to be. And, and that's not bad. That's the way God designed it. But, but I'm so thankful that he's given us his word because the reality is because of sin, because of the brokenness that's in the world, we're all from broken families to one degree or another. You know, you become an adult. I wish the teenagers were in here right now. But you, come in, you become an adult and you realize your parents weren't so dumb. Or you realize, you know, they made mistakes. Maybe they weren't even in your life. But, but life is hard. And, and figuring this family thing out is difficult. Yeah. And, and so I'm so thankful that God has something to say about family. Amen. And so today we want to look at a text where Paul redefines what family is by looking at who our father is and letting that his fatherhood be the standard. And he's going to show us that um, if, if God is our father, then we should be asking for more. So let's go and open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter uh, 3. You can stand up. We're going to read this together. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. I'm going to do my best not to mess this up. For this reason, I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's pray. Father God, we pause and we come to you explicitly as our Father, by faith in Jesus Christ, your Son. We come to you, Father, and we we ask, like Paul, that you would strengthen us, that you would strengthen our hearts, our inner being, that, that new life that you have created so that we might be able to experience Christ dwelling in us, experience his character, his person, his, his nature dwelling in us, Father, I pray that right now your Holy Spirit would allow us to experience the, the expansive nature of your love for us, the expansive nature of your love for each and every individual in this room, and your love for your body, for us as a corporate entity. And Lord God, I pray that you would help us to, to appreciate and experience your, your presence and your fullness. That, that as empty vessels you would pour into us and that we would overflow with the presence, the power, the character of God. Father, Daddy, we ask you to come. Touch our hearts. Reorient our minds and our thoughts about what family looks like. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. You guys can be seated. Sorry, I'm going to knock that over and be right when I'm trying to make a point. God loves you. Okay. Um, so Paul has, has, he's saying some things here that, that God is our father and that because God's our father, we have some implications, but I don't want to gloss over what he starts with. 
He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. He's saying, for this reason. Now, the question you need to ask yourself is, for what reason? And he's looking back, and, and this is an encouragement to me that I, I read one of the commentators point out is, is, have you ever been praying and you just kind of, you lost track of what you were praying? The good news is, so does Paul. So in, in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, and then he goes on, assuming that you've, been heard, you've heard the stewardship, and he goes in and basically talks about the, the ministry of the gospel that's been given to him. So he, he completely forgets that he's praying. He's like, you know, I, I prayed this for you, assuming, and then he goes and explains it. And then around verse 14, he, he oh yeah, I finished what I said, I, I finished my, and I'm, what was I talking about? Uh, for this reason, oh yeah, I bow my knee before the Father. And there's this sense in which he's very passionate about what he's saying. He's, he's explaining his ministry, he's explaining his burden to them as Gentiles, and that's why he loses his track, and then he comes back and he says, I bend my knees before the Father uh, for this reason. And what is that reason? Well, if you go on, and, and I'm just going to go quickly through this because it's not the main point, but if you go and look at chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, he talks about the reality that God has done something in creation where he took the people of God, the Jewish people of God, and, and they got to a point where they thought that they were the chosen people and that was kind of the, that's the terminus, that was the end. But God said, no, no, I, I did this. You guys remember Abraham, you're gonna be, I wanna bless the nations, not the nation, not just the nation. So he says, in Christ, by his life, his death, his resurrection, he's broken down the barrier that separated Gentiles and Jews. So that it's not just the Jews who come in and they, they experience the promises and the benefits of, of, of redemption through Jesus Christ, but it's, it's the Gentiles as well. And he says, for, for the reason that God has done this, that he's, he's brought these two races together to what, what Kent Hughes calls a third race, a third people, a third family, I would say, because of that, he prays. And not only does he pray, he bows his knee. Now, the, the common and usual position or way of praying was to stand, and they'd stand and pray. That's why Jesus, when he's talking about Pharisees, he says, you know, don't just, don't just stand in the streets and pray, but, but pray secretly to your Father. But here, he, what does he say? For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. I mean, think about the position that, that Paul's taking He's telling these people, he's, he's been passionate about saying that this is, this is my life's purpose to minister to you Gentiles. And he says, I bow my knees. I don't just pray with the kind of a casualness or standard, but I, I entreat God. I pursue him. I, I'm begging. I'm, I'm emoting. He's praying in a kneeling way that's reserved for moments of deep emotion and petition. And he's, he's praying this way. I, I, I'm saying all this because I want you to hear this the way that Paul wanted his hearers to hear this. He's not, this is not a, a, uh, a round table in a Sunday school moment where you don't know the people around you and they're like, well, do you have a prayer request? And Yes, my prayer is, uh, it's unspoken. Well, we pray for Bob's unspoken. No, this is, he's going in. You know, he's, he's, he's entering the throne room of God. I, 
Uh, I appreciate that. I don't know if you caught the clip, but there was a clip where uh, during the Every Nation Campus Ministry recap video where, where Dehan's saying something. I didn't even listen to the sermons, but I just was moved by what he said. Like the, uh, a faith that is, that is shaped and that's uh, honed by being in the throne room of God. And, and that's the kind of prayer that, pro, that Paul is praying. And so he says, you know, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Now, he's not just praying to God. You know, sometimes we, we relate to God as, God, you're omnipotent, you're powerful, and you're great. And there are aspects of God that aren't necessarily specifically tied to just his, his fatherhood. But he's saying, no, I pray to whom? The Father. I bow my knees before who? The Father. You know, you get a picture of him in the spirit, bowing his knees with the Father on the throne, you know, we don't necessarily know what he looks like. He doesn't, he's invisible, but, but he's presenting himself to his father. And, and we ought to be reminded in this moment that if you're in Christ, if you are saved by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, God is not just your savior. He's not just your redeemer. He's your daddy. He's your father. That has, that has real meaning and implication beyond just some sort of Trinitarian equation he, he wants to father you. He wants to love you as a father would, as the perfect father would. He wants to redefine what fathering a person looks like. He's adopted us. If he, he, Paul's, he's hitting on this fatherhood thing in Ephesians. You should read Ephesians when you go home. In Ephesians 1.5, he says, he, says uh, he predestined us, what, for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. The term they are sons, it doesn't disclude or exclude um, women. The point is that sons in that time received an inheritance. So he's adopted us, men and women, not as sons and daughters who don't get quite as much, but all of us are sons in the sense that we all receive an inheritance. 114 says something similar. It says in uh, verse 14, who is, we've received the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of, of what? Our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So there's an inheritance in heaven and, and God has sent his Holy Spirit whose purpose in part is to, to be the guarantee to say, I'm showing you by the presence and power and experience of the Holy Spirit in your life that there's an inheritance for you as a, as a son or a daughter of God. I pray to the Father, you have an inheritance. You have been adopted. You were part of a family and you were unwanted and God said, I want you. I want you. God doesn't, he doesn't come to you begrudgingly. I, 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 I can't state that enough. God is not, the ax is not waiting if you're in Christ. The ax is not waiting to fall. That's why Jesus gives a picture of the prodigal son. It's really about the father. It's a picture of who the father is and the character and the nature of the father. The father who waits, who's watching, who's looking, who greets his son, who receives his son, who, who greets his older son, who, who's, who's being self-righteous, and he says, please come into the party. This is for you too. This is the, the love of a father who overcomes the prodigal and who overcomes the self-righteous one. Yeah. Wherever you find yourself, the father's saying, I love you. This is a loving father who's made every, every arrangement. 
You know, I think many of us have experienced fathers who said, I will come this far and no farther, and you need to come to me. And God says, no, no, I've come all the way. I've come all the way to you. You weren't even looking and I came for you. Just as a a moment of pause, I want to ask this question and I want you to think for a moment. How do you primarily relate to God? Do you relate to him as judge? As lawgiver, lawkeeper? Or father? Now, I'm not saying that he isn't a judge. He's, he's definitely a judge, and there will be a judgment day. He's definitely a lawgiver. He's definitely righteous and holy and completely other. And yet, he's a father. And when Jesus tells us to pray, what does he say? Our, that's right, our, our father. Not our lawgiver, not our judge in Christ He's our judge no more because Christ was judged for us. Yeah. When we come to the, to the judgment day, we will plead Christ and, and God will see us clothed in Christ. He will see us unified with Christ. He will see us as sons and daughters. So Paul prays to God the Father and he's what? He's the father of the Jews and the Gentiles and Paul expands it further and he says this, For this reason, verse 15, I I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And that word in the Greek, it's wordplay. One is, uh, I won't say them, but but it's father, and then basically you could say it's fatherhood. So yes, it's family. Yes, it's uh, uh, this sense of familial relationship, but he's trying to touch on the fact that, that the Father has an imprint on every sort of other order and structure in all of creation. When he talks about heavens, I mean, we, we don't, the, some theologians would say that it's, it's maybe believers who went to heaven, or others would say that it's the angelic beings. If you look at, at Ephesians, he talks a lot about the fact that God is over and above and in authority over every rule and dominion and power and name that is named, not only in this age, but the one to come. He talks about that in, in chapter 1, verse 20. And he talks about the fact that God has, has placed Jesus Christ, his son, God has placed him in authority over them because he was in authority over them, so he can place them in authority over them. So whatever you think, whether it's believers or you think it's rulers and authorities, and on earth, it's every family, every um, uh, nation, every people group, God is in authority, right? The naming of an individual, the naming of a person, the naming of a group, that is one person in the Bible, it's one person exercising authority over something. So when it says that, that from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, it's not to say that, that every family on earth is necessarily in Christ or, or believers, but, but because we have fatherhoods, because there is order, because there is hierarchy of authority, it, it ought to pull from who God is as father. He's the ultimate father. God's fatherhood informs and outranks and defines every authority in all of creation. And what that means for you and me is that we cannot, we should not define what family is or how it works apart from the nature and the character of God disclosed in Scripture. There are a lot, and I mean, we're in a culture where everything's up for redefinition. 
And, and I, I would encourage you that a loving response is not to just say everything's right. But a loving response would be to say, I love you, but this is what God has said is right. This is the order that God has established. Yeah. And since God is Paul's father and the father of those to whom he writes to us, Paul's going to ask some bold things of God. He's going to ask for more. More of Christ, more love, and more of God himself. So look at verses 16 and 17 with me. Amen. So he prays to the Father, and and he says this, praying, I'm adding that word praying, praying that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So he prays, then his first petition is, God, I pray that you would strengthen them in their inner being. And there are other places where Paul talks about the inner being, the inner man, the inner person, where he says that there's an, our outer person, our outer self is, is wasting away, it's dying, it's this, this body that we live in, and it's the sin nature that, that still indwells us. But he says, God has brought to life an inner man or inner being inside of us. It's a new nature that's inside of us. And he says, I want you, Father God, to strengthen them in their inner person. Strength, make them strong. Okay, well, but, but for what purpose, Paul? It's not salvation, because he's speaking to believers. He's not saying that I want Christ to dwell in you in the sense that I want these people to get saved, I want them to believe. That's, that's already happened in his mind. No, he goes on and he says, I want Christ to dwell in them richly. In Galatians, which was a letter that had already been sent out, he says this in verse two, uh, chapter 2, verse 20. You've probably heard this before. He says, Paul's talking and he talks about his own life. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. God wants you to be strengthened in your inner being. He wants you to be strengthened in the heart of hearts so that Christ can dwell in you richly. And what that means is he wants to see the person, the character, the nature of Christ come up in your life as the, the sinful nature comes down. He wants to see the, the, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the gentleness, the self-sacrifice, the servanthood, all of these things that characterized who Christ was, that begins to dwell more and more and more in you so that people don't see you, they see Christ. Yeah, and you know this because you, you've seen older men and women come into church or you've seen them come to your, your family reunions or maybe you haven't, but, but many times I, I've seen so many saints who were older and, and they, physically they were worn down and they were tired and they were slow and they didn't necessarily get to the, the party quickly, but when they entered the room, there was authority that walked in the room with them because God had so strengthened their inner being that Christ could be seen. Paul wants our families to be families in which Christ is reflected toward one another. I mean, can you imagine what kind of family reunion that would be if, if we were all pursuing this strengthening, this growing, so that we are reflecting Christ to one another? That's, that's what small groups are intended to be. It's, it's a, a little microcosm experience where Christ in me is expanding. He's dwelling more richly in me. So I'm blessing and I'm encouraging and I'm loving on other people in, in the same ways that Christ would. I'm basically incarnating. I'm embodying Christ, not in a weird 
mystical way, but I'm living a life that represents who Christ is to other people so that it spurs them on to love and good deeds, as Hebrew says, and they begin to do the same thing. And you have this hurricane whirlwind of people loving one another so that, as Elizabeth said, you can't wait to get to to small group because that's where you experience Christ. And some of us in the, we're in this room and we're like, I just, I'm so bored with church, I'm bored with God, I'm bored with Christianity because we're missing this. Yeah. We're missing the, the, the seeing and the experiencing the family of God in the context of God strengthening our inner being so that Christ would dwell in us richly. That's his first petition. God wants to increase your capacity. How many of you, don't raise your hand, but how many of you came to church and you're like, God, I can't. For one reason or another, I just can't. I don't have enough in the tank. In fact, it's empty and things are about to explode. Or, or you, go to church, you, go to, you go to work on Monday and you're like, God, I, I need more patience. I, or, or you get to the end of the month and you, God, I need more, more provision. God wants to increase your capacity. He wants to increase your love, your capacity for forgiveness, your capacity for faithfulness. God wants the fruit that we talked about weeks ago, the fruit of his spirit to be manifest in your life, to be evident, to be clear. We're fruit-bearing trees, guys. God wants us to bear fruit. And the reality is more of Christ means more of love. And so we see in the following verses that he talks about more love. In uh, verse 17, second part, he says this, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. He wants us to be rooted and grounded in love. You know, it's one thing for love to be a part of your life. For sometimes you'd be loving, sometimes you're not loving. But, but what Paul is praying for is a kind of love that nourishes your soul. You know, you're rooted in the soil of love. And then it, it stabilizes your life so that no matter the circumstance or the struggle or the pain that you're in, you're, you're strengthened by the love of God. And because of that, because you're being nourished and your, your, your source is God's love, you're able to pour out love. You know, you and I, we're, we're, this is why in, in the Bible it talks about the difference between being uh, cisterns or, or jars or being uh, living waters. When we're in Christ, there's a, there's a living water that flows out of us. And, and if, if you don't feel like that's, that's happening, my, my encouragement is that God wants that to be the case for you. He, he calls us to be rooted and grounded in love. He says, uh, praying that, that you being rooted, that you being rooted in such a way that your roots go down deep in love, in the love of God, in the love of God expressed in the gospel. Understanding the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, not just as some like, okay, well, this is what something I hear Pastor Eddie and Pastor David and Jermaine say all the time, God died for my sins, Jesus died for my sins, he rose again, defeating sin. But what does that mean? That means that before the foundations of the world, God said, I want you. And he said, I've, I've made arrangements for you. That, that in Genesis, God was not saying, well, uh, they messed up. Oh, what are we going to do? Oh, let's figure this out. No, he had a plan. He was executing his plan. Satan was working in his plan. Didn't even know it. He, we get to now, and God says, I love you, 
and I, I've made a plan for you. We're rooted and grounded in love. And he says that being rooted and grounded in love, he prays that, uh, that Christ, or I'm sorry, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And, and there, it's a little weird. Uh, some of your translations, if you read like the NIV, will say uh, the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ. Others will just kind of say breadth and length and height and depth. That's like the ESV and the NASB. And, and the, the point is there's, there's some question of whether they're, they're, he's talking just about the love of God or the person of God, the character of God. But, but at the end of the day, what matters is he wants us to understand and comprehend in greater measure the bigness and expansiveness of God. And if you're understanding the expansiveness of God, you will invariably understand the expansiveness for his, of his love for you. The God who decided to, to spin cosmos into the reality, who said, you star go here, you star go here, you star go here, who's that big, still says, Christian, beloved, I love you. If I I knew everyone's name in this room, I would go person by person and say, Bill, God loves you. Sally, God loves you. Sarah, God loves you. That's the way you need to hear this. That the God who is so big, whose, whose breath cannot be measured, whose height cannot be measured, whose depth cannot be fathomed, is the God who loves you. And he says, and to know the love of Christ that what? Surpasses knowledge. Right? There's a kind of love that, that is, isn't just something that you read in a biology booklet, but, but it's something that you know. You know, it's one thing to be able to say, okay, I know, I know what's inside a frog. It's another thing for your teacher to be like, here's a frog, cut it open. And you're like, I'd rather not. And then you see what it's made of. You know, when, when my... Wife and I were dating, we, we had feelings for each other, it's true. I tricked her, and she married me, and because she's a good person, she, she stuck around even though I tricked her. Um, but we loved each other, and we knew on some level that we loved each other. You know, we, write it, we wrote it in cards, you know, so we knew. But now, we've got three kids, we've, we've experienced some challenges in life, We're trying to get three kids to church, I mean, that'll test the love of God. <laughs> and I know, I know the love of my wife that surpasses just knowing. That's what God wants for you. Again, some of you are in this room and, and you've got this view of God that says, I know you as God, and I've heard of you as Father. And he says, no, I want you to know, I want you to know the kind of love of Christ and ultimately the love of the Father that surpasses just knowing. But it requires, it requires an experience, it requires that you, you step out and, and ask. I mean, God, it, it, I, I don't wanna limit what God does. He, he overcomes us, he, he is sovereign, but he invites us to ask. That's why Paul asks. I pray that they would know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. We, he wants us to know so deeply that we are so affected that we live a radical lifestyle. You, you ever have that, I had this friend 
uh, named Mason Crumpler, you know, when I was about six or seven. And I mean, he was, he was like a ride or die type kid. He was small, he was wiry, and he was smaller than me. But, but if ever any kid came and was like trying to bully us, and I'm the taller of the two, he was just all over them. I mean, just like a whirl of hands and feet and, and appendages. And I mean, just imagine the cartoon just puff with hands coming out here and there. And that was him. And, and he, he loved radically because he, he understood something about our, our friendship. And it was something that kind of propelled him to act a particular way. And that's a silly example, but, but God wants us to love in such a way that, that we're, we're going to do what it takes. That when God says, I want you to go here, I want you to move here, I want you to move to Denver, we're not like, well, I don't know about that. I don't know if God loves me enough for me to go there and experience that. No, we say, yes, let's do this. Or, or maybe it's just, I don't know about my marriage, man. I just, uh, God said, no, you know my love, now live it out in this marriage. You sacrifice, you apologize, you die to self, and you watch me move. Or, or you've got your kids and they're just, you know, I don't know who they are, but uh, I believe in spiritual warfare now. Um, and, and you're like, I don't know, God, I don't know. And you know, we're all laughing, but I mean, there are moments where you're like, I just, help me, Lord. And he wants us to experience the kind of love to us that we can extend to our children and say, I'm gonna love you no matter what. When, you, when your head's on straight and when your head's over there and you're levitating. I wanna love you in that kind of way. He wants to fill us with that kind of love. Do you, do, you, do you get the sense of the kind of radical kind of love and family that God wants us to live? God wants us to give more love and ultimately he wants to give us more of himself. In this third petition, he says in verse 19, the second part, I pray that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And that's, that's a bold prayer. That's not like, God, please help my friends. You know, however you want or don't, whatever. No, I want, he prays that God would fill us with what? The fullness of who? An infinite God. I've tried to fill pots and forgotten and, and, and left them and, and nearly flooded my house. That's, that's the kind of thing that God wants to do for us. And, and the reality is sometimes we, we say, God, you know, I, I want more of you. But what we say in our heart is, I want a little bit more of you. I also want a little bit of Netflix to stay right here. And, you know, this habit that I don't want to give up. And also, you know, Saturdays are mine. So... God, I want you to, here, here's your, I want more of you right here, right here. It's all for you, God. But no, Paul prays a radical prayer, the kind of prayer that you can only see come to fruition when you're saying, God, I give it all to you. And he says, Lord, fill them with the fullness of God. And the neat thing about God is, is if you're in a place where you're like, I've, I'm giving God all that I have, he doesn't say, well, that's all you get to have. No, he, he expands your capacity. Amen. And you, you know that because you, you've seen that, or I hope that you know that, but if you don't, then talk to someone who said amen just a second ago, um, Rosh Hashanah. Um, 
the, any, any saint who's been through something will tell you that, that God will expand you through suffering. Um, I, there, there have been so many challenges in, God, in, in life that, that I've tried to pray away. God, save me from this problem. When God was saying, no, I'm going to save you through this problem. And he's saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, and you don't like it. It doesn't feel good because he's saying, I'm going to stretch you. And you're like, I'd rather not. This hurts. And he says, yes, it does, doesn't it? Welcome to my life. <laughs> and we experience the life of God and God pours himself into us. What am I saying? God wants to fill us to such a degree that, that we're overflowing. You know, I used, to, I used to swim a lot as a kid. Um, I was a bit of a latchkey kid, so in the, in the spring and summer, I'd just go to the pool. Uh, it was fun. It was loud. It was a different time. I can't imagine my kids just going to the pool. Like, no. Where's your floaty? And your adult? And no. I was going to the pool and like, anyways. Where were my parents? No, I'm just kidding. It's a different time. It's just a different time. Anyways, and, and there was, there's a difference when you're at the pool between looking at the water and just being like, oh, cool, water. And like jumping in and being under the water and like your vision is affected by being in the water. Some of you are saying, God, I want more of you, but you're sitting on the edge of the pool and you're like, yeah, this looks nice. And God's saying, come on in. I want to so inundate you with who I am that your vision, it's, it's, it's shaped and it's affected by my presence. Now, the difference is that when, when we're inundated with Christ, we don't see poorly when we see poorly in a chlorine-infested, whatever-infested pool. No, our, our clarity, our vision is clarified, our, our circumstances are brought into perspective, and we see better. That's what God wants to do. He wants to pour himself out into us so that we grow in greater capacity and we experience more of him. So Paul prays, and he prays to his father. He says, God... Fill them up. Fill them up with Christ. Fill them up with love. And fill them up with more of you. Now, if you're in this room and you're thirsty, Paul, he's praying this because he knows that God will meet their need. And if that's you, I want to encourage you that Jesus Christ died on the cross so that you could come into a greater revelation of God. That you can know him not as just judge, not as just ruler, not as just uh, angry deity in heaven, which is not, that's not the picture that the Bible gives us, but as a loving father. If that's you, I would just encourage you, the Bible says, repent and believe in Jesus Christ. That means turn away from your life, the way you live it now, turn away from the sins that would try and encourage you to live a particular way, and turn to Jesus Christ and say, God, how do you want me to live? Submit yourself to him. Instead of giving this little bit to him, give it all to him. And for those of you who come to church hurting, hungry, thirsty, God wants to meet your need. He wants to fill you up. He wants to satisfy you. 